0: All right, well, good evening. Welcome to our small group training. I'm so excited to have you here. This is just awesomely wonderful to have people excited about doing small groups. They are the best way to facilitate close Christian relationships. And uh, that's been something that's kind of been bubbling and ready to happen. And now here's the momentum and we're good to go. So I'm excited about that. So here's point number one that is going to be the concept behind everything, is it's all about building relationships. So what we want to do with our small groups at Good Hope is give people an opportunity to to develop Christian friendships. That's really what it is. Let's get to know some people, develop those relationships we have certain challenges because of our particular building situation it's, it's just a little bit challenging getting to know people like in the few minutes before and after a service when you see people that's just very very challenging it's really not going to happen it's not what the sunday morning experience is primarily about you know that's about coming together and and being united before christ and that sort of a thing but the small group experience is about building relationships and so a few things that the small group experience is not about two in particular it's not about giving you a platform to have some strange theology that you teach a small group of people that's not what it's for it's not about hammering some little theology uh, and it's also not about finding a closed group of friends that you can share secrets with that nobody else gets to be a part of. Uh, it's not about cliques. We're not wanting to develop a group of cliques. We're wanting to develop opportunities for people to be able to have relationships. And so getting to the theology point, I'm perfectly fine with people covering material that they don't completely agree with. You know, we've done small groups with curriculums, and people are like, "Well, oh, I'm not so sure about this." That's okay. You know, we're not going to replace the Bible with your curriculum. Evaluate the curriculum; it's not going to be perfect. There isn't going to be a perfect one out there, so we're not going to worry about finding the perfect curriculums. But have enough sense to realize, okay, I need to evaluate this human book or whatever. You know, that's perfectly fine. No issues with that. Also, um, with the clicky thing. We want people to be being invited to the groups. And if people are coming in, it's not going to get clicky. Also, we're going to have distinct beginning and ending times and stuff like that. So that both gives the host and the leader an opportunity to take a break or to just not do it for a season or things like that. It, It creates opportunities so you're not just like roped into, okay, I'm leading a small group now for the rest of my life and there's no way out. Uh We don't want that. So that's the deal. We're going to start with a video that is essentially everything wrong about how to do a small group. So this is the opposite of what we want to see in uh, small groups at Good Hope. Uh We want to have small groups where people are free to share. That means don't ridicule people if they're going to bring up different things. And uh, uh, be open to praying for each other and that sort of thing. If you have a book, I just like page 20 a whole lot. Again, being a bottom line guy, here's the things that we're looking for in the book. I'll just kind of go over this here real quick. Then what we're going to do after this is we're going to have our own small group experience. We're going to go through the different phases of a small group We're going to have a snack. We're going to try doing some worship time with this thing right here. You know, to see is it possible to worship with one of these. We're going to have some discussion time where we talk about how to lead small groups and facilitate things and stuff like that. And and we're going to pray for each other. And it's it's just going to be a small group experience where we get to see it and how it all works for the visual learners. And then we'll be discussing things as we go for the normal learners. So here we go. We've got the four things we can do and the three things we want to see. Get people to show up, which in the book here, the terminology is conversion growth. Assimilation means that they actually keep coming to your small group rather than showing up and then not coming to your small group. And then group multiplication means at the end uh, you got more groups than you had at the beginning. Like a year from now, if we have more groups than we have right now, that'll be group uh, multiplication. The things that we want to do in order to see that happen, number one is pray. We've got a few extra copies of this book. If you don't have one, we've got a a few extra copies, so we will want to make sure that you get one. If you like statistics, you'll like this book. Because how many Christians know you're supposed to pray? Yeah, yeah, you're supposed to pray. Of course you are. Did you know that 83% of groups where the leaders prayed saw new people come and 19% of groups where they didn't pray saw people come? So it's a huge, huge difference when the people pray. They found statistically, if you prepare, it doesn't matter how much you prepare. Statistically, it's the same. If you spend a half hour getting your lesson put together, or you spend five hours, it had no statistical benefit to your group as far as these three measurable things. People showing up, people staying, and groups multiplying. You had to prepare, but if you prepared a whole lot or just a little, it was the same. But if you prayed none or you prayed some, that made a huge difference. So we want, we want people to pray. And then reach is, it's inviting people to the group and doing things like that to be able to get people in. Praying and inviting people saw people show up. That makes sense. But you can pray and invite people, but statistically, that didn't get them to stay. In order for them to stay, you have to care about them. So that's the the third one here is care, and that just means that you you get to know what's going on in their life. You're seeing, you know, what's going on. Maybe you, if they're a kid or something, you go to their basketball game or something along those lines. But you actively engage, so it's not just say a student in a class that you don't know their name, but this is a person that you're growing in relationship with and you're caring about in various ways, both. Being able to see them and say, hey, Bill, how's it going? How's your ankle? You know, there's care. That gets them coming back because now the relationship is actually happening. It's not just, oh, good, I'm a statistic on this person's small group sheet, but real caring. Caring is the thing that made the difference with assimilation and also empowering. They found that group leaders that had a variety of people do different jobs had a much better assimilation rate. So if you have one of your people bring the snack and another person plans out the worship time and another person does another piece of it, then people stuck because they saw, oh, well, if if I show some promise, I'll get to do some stuff too. So then the assimilation happened through care and empowerment. And then group multiplication, that was all about empowerment. If all you do is just do ministry to people and you don't let them do anything then of course you can't multiply groups because you have no more leaders than you had at the beginning you just have one and so if you empower people okay well you're going to facilitate the the connection game time you know whatever stuff like that then they start to learn how to lead and how to facilitate things and uh, it really works out so uh, we've got the three goals, which is get people to show up, which in the book here, the terminology is conversion growth. Get people to stay, which is assimilation. And then have more groups, which is group multiplication. Those are the things we want, the things we need to do in order to have that happen. We need to pray. Pray for the group. Pray for the lesson. Reach. you got to invite people. We'll talk about that at the end. How do you get people to come to your group? The announcement person, isn't going to be successful at getting people to your group. You're going to have to reach people and bring them in. That's just the way it works. Otherwise, you end up not having people come to your group and it's just not super fun. You've got to develop some relationships and invite people. We need to care about people. Very, very important. Care about them and empower them. Pray, reach, care, empower. If we do those things, We're going to have a good time. If we don't do those things, we'll have some frustrations and it'll be a bummer. So we are going to now have our snack time, right? Yeah, and then we're going to circle up and have ourselves a monster small group. All right. So we're going to take a little time now to do our mixer part. We got our five W's, but the the one W means welcome. Announcements and uh, good thing, bad thing. So now we're gonna do good thing, bad thing. This is the mixer game that we do in uh, youth group that I learned somewhere a while back. I don't like mixer games that embarrass people or things like that, or are just pointless, you know? I want something where you're actually gonna learn something about the person, and there's a variety of different things like that. But one staple that I've found that doesn't really get old is good thing, bad thing, and that is you just go around in a circle, and you say one good thing that's happened to you in the last week, and one bad thing that's happened in the last week, and then that allows people to be able to share however significant of a thing they want to share. You know some people will say, "Well, the weather was bad, my bad thing, and you know what stuff like that, but that's fine, then they can share at their level of intimacy. Let's do that. I'll start, and we'll just go around the circle and we'll finish with Jerry, so you can be thinking to yourself. What's a good thing that happened, and what's a bad thing? So I would say, hi, I'm Mike. Thanks for letting me come to the small group. I'm happy to be here. A good thing that happened to me this week was I got to go down to the cities and pick my wife up from being gone in Arizona. And so that was super fun. And my bad thing is we had a wonderful plan for a campfire for youth group last night. But it was horribly cold and disastrous, so we stayed inside. But it worked out okay anyway. So that's an example of the welcome with announcements and a simple icebreaker. And isn't it fun? You know, I learned stuff about my own kid, you know. It's amazing what can happen just in a simple thing like this. So that's cool. Uh, The next one is Word. These aren't in any particular order. You don't have to do them in this order. But in your little handout, it's got the five W's. Welcome, Word, Worship, Wind, and Witness, which he had to work pretty hard to get them all to start with W. But <laughs> but we'll get the idea. During the Word part, we're going to basically talk about leading small groups and being part of small groups. So instead of a Bible study, it'll be a small group strategy time. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, one of the interesting things in the book, which I'll just go over, but if you happen to have your book, page 51 through 53, Um, he talks about the different stages of the life of a small group. And the first stage is forming. That's when you're first coming together. And that's just the super fun honeymoon stage. You know, you're getting to meet new people and you just think they're awesome and you shared your good thing and bad thing, and they laughed at your good thing, and they cared about your bad thing, and it's like, this group is awesome, and uh, it was just, you know, it's just neat, and so that's the forming stage, which is followed by the storming stage, which is where the people who seemed so awesome a month ago now are kind of irritating, you know, and I can't believe that he interrupted me again. You know, he interrupted me last week. I was sharing about this thing. He clearly wasn't paying attention at all and just started talking about his own thing. Uh, And that's the storming phase. That phase will happen to one degree or another. At the beginning, it's just awesome getting to meet some people, but then people get irritating. And one of the things that's important to recognize is that is so prevalent it made the book. You, you know what I mean? Like this is not a a big surprise that now you're finding some people in your group irritating after a month or six weeks or something. You know, that's just very very normal. It's part of the process. It's part of getting to know people. The leader is really just a facilitator, not like the spiritual shepherd of the small group. We don't want that. Hey, we're all in this together. You know what I mean? Like it's it's not about making sure that you're in your little spot in the hierarchy. This this is a group of people coming together to be mutually supportive. Leading a group is not about being an expert. It's about just helping people engage in relationship. That's that's what it's about. It's not about knowing more than the other people in the group. In fact, that's dangerous when you feel a pressure to know something. It's perfectly fine to not know. Super, super important. So Forming and storming. Then the next one is norming. Obviously, this guy knows how to, like he's got the W's and he's got all the Ng's here, but norming is when, okay, he interrupted me again, but that's Bill, and I like Bill, and I just know Bill sometimes interrupts people. That's Bill. Now, I'm irritated, but I'm okay with it because I care about Bill, and I wonder how's it going with his niece, you know, or whatever, that sort of a deal. Now, it's normal. We've Gone past the honeymoon, we've gone through the irritation. Now we're just hanging out, we're kind of friends, and we're past some of that uh, first stuff. Then he's got performing as level four, which is basically the people in the group stepping into greater roles in the group. So the first day you're there, you're not going to bring the snack or you're not going to organize the mixer game or that sort of a thing. You're not going to do the announcements or something like that. But maybe a few weeks in, you see somebody in your group. Hey, would you bring your announcement sheet from Sunday and just share that during the welcome time? Sure. Now they're participating. They're performing in the group. So uh, that's good. Maybe they're going to facilitate one of the other W's. Even as a leader, you can have somebody lead the Bible study part or the book study part. Nothing wrong with that. The leader is there again to facilitate relationships. It's not about... I know what the book says better than you. It's So you can certainly, you know, hey, Bill, would you lead the thing on Chapter 4 next week? Sure. That's the performing stage. So you're starting to get people involved. Now you're prepping people to step into a leadership position. Maybe you find out, oh, wow, I've got two people in my group that could lead their own group. Uh, next time we, we start small groups, uh, which is phase number five, reforming. That's sending out new leaders to give birth to a new group or to a, a new batch of groups. So, like human birth, however, this stage also involves pain and adjustment, he says. Which is true. He talks about different ways to multiply, and some are very painful. Like splitting a group in half. You, you're breaking a lot of relationships that way. It's very effective because you've got a good, like you've got a group of 16, say, and you just break it into two groups of eight we well, have got eight people that know how to do it, but you've just lost a whole bunch of connections, and so it's painful. So, very effective, but can be painful as well. So, he goes through a list of different ways to, to do that. Let's talk about dealing with three specific types of people, and let's do this interactively. You know, everybody can feel free to share. Let's talk about the super talkative person, the super quiet person, and the overly negative person. So we've got three types of people or behaviors that we're going to want to curb to a certain extent. First, let's talk about the monopolizer of the conversation. If you've been in a small group situation or you've experienced the over-talker, what are some strategies for curbing that behavior but not hurting the person? Sometimes the overtalkers know they're overtalkers, and so if you can develop a relationship with them, because I know somebody who's an overtalker, and he doesn't want to be an overtalker. He just gets all enthusiastic and keeps talking, but he's also not somebody who's going to get offended easy. And he says, "Hey, just tell me if I'm over talking. Just let me know." And so that's especially when the little hand works well, because they know what that means. They can absolutely, if you've, if you've already broached the subject and they're like yeah i know i'm an overtalker i'm trying not to but i'm so excited so that brings us to the quiet person how do you deal with the overly quiet person one of the things that, in that that i'll interject being the overtalker so I'll, pretty soon i'll get a hand on the shoulder um <laughs> i was having a conversation with a person recently where this was a very quiet person and I had to literally wait 10 seconds. Let it be silent for 10 seconds, which was killing me. I counted out 10 seconds. That's a long time. Like, wow, you know, but you just have to wait. And it was a wonderful conversation. I got all kinds of great stuff. But if I hadn't waited 10 seconds, like eight times, I mean, like lots and lots of separate 10 seconds but there was gold there was gold at the uh, in that because a lot of times those people it takes them a long time cuz they're they're putting something good together they're not just spewing out whatever unconscious thing happens they're they're putting it together and it's a good thing but wow is that tough and if you've got somebody who's super quiet in your group you may have to tell the rest of the group okay we're, we're just going to wait for bill apparently our guy is bill we're just going to wait for Bill, you know? And and you don't have to say that out loud in front of everybody, but, you know, just kind of, well, you know, Bill, he's quiet. Let's give him some time. You know, if he wants to say something, he will. It'll be good. And those people are so happy to be heard. Oh, my goodness. Because they're very rarely heard. Because nobody's going to wait the 10 seconds. They They have something to say. Just they never get to say it, you know? So when you actually take the time to show love by listening and have that pause, it can be beautiful. It really can. Absolutely. And depending on the dynamic in your particular group, if if that's a significant issue, that's a, those are great exercises. I did an exercise one time where we broke into groups of two. We were each given five minutes to write down the most meaningful gift we'd ever received. And so you write down the thing, you know, and of course everybody has something significant with that. And then it was like, okay, you're going to be given 30 seconds to share this thing with the other person. And we're going to start in five seconds. The other person, do everything you can to not hear what they're saying. Go. And so then people are under the table and they're going, and that sort of thing. And, And it was just very profound in that all the power is in the listener. The listener has the power in communication, not the speaker. And so listening, you show love by listening. That's just, that's the way it is. And with quiet people, it just means you have to be more quiet. just have to give them their space. Let's talk about the overly negative person as we're having so much fun, we could go till 10. The overly negative person, how do you deal with the overly negative person? Say something positive, Humor is always good. Overly negative would be, wow, I'm so glad I found good hope. The tab, oh can you believe that playland they have over there? I can't believe they just wasting all that money on those stupid little snotty-nosed kids. Man. You know, and so now you're like, you know, what am I supposed to do with this? Uh one of the keys with this is setting it up ahead of time. The first day that you meet, say, You know, this group is about building relationships. We're going to care for each other. We're going to love each other, but we're not going to hate other people. And it it can get icky in a hurry, and then you just don't know what to do. And that's no fun when things get, all of a sudden they get super negative and somebody's cutting on somebody or some other group or, you know, those Republicans or whatever. And, you know, you you just don't want to be there. All right. Obviously, we can talk about this stuff forever, but let's, let's keep moving on to W number three, worship. One of the things that uh, the guy talked about in the book, I have never done this in a small group, so I thought, let's just find out what this is like. I am a huge fan of, let's not talk about, well, I think that would work, I don't think, let's just do it and see, uh, because then we'll know, is actually having some worship time in your small group. It opens the door to a deeper spiritual level of relationship. And so doing worship in a small group, according to the research, is very significant. And so I'm going to do something we could all do. We'll just sing here in your presence. Be free to let it happen the way it should happen. But let's try to uh, have as many of these five things happen as consistently as possible. In some of the administrative meetings that I go to, we'll play a couple songs and everybody will just quietly pray to themselves. It's not an out loud thing. That can be really powerful. I had a meeting on Monday this week and it was just, it was good. Just being in a room with worship music going, people focusing on the Lord, nobody doing anything out loud. For me, that specific time was actually really, really good. So here we go. I'm going to turn this on. Wind is praying for each other. Praying for somebody's got a sore knee. Somebody's got a driver's test coming up. Things like that. Praying for those sorts of things. Basic things with that is just encourage people. There's no wrong way to pray. People who haven't prayed out loud, they're going to stumble and sputter and and they're going to repeat themselves and say things awkwardly. Fine. That's great. Just be encouraging and let them grow and develop as that happens because they'll get better at it. It's just like anything else. And uh, the main thing is just to to do that. If you've got a group, say, that's large like this, we'd split up into a bunch of smaller groups, like three or four people and pray for each other. These are in no particular order. Do what works best. I would probably do the witness part closer to the welcoming area. Here's the announcements. Hey, who's got somebody they want to pray for today? And then, you know, pray for people and then we get started. And I don't know, I've kind of got the church way of things kind of in my brain. So then, of course, we'd sing songs and then, <laughs> then we'd do the word part. And then we'd pray for each other at the end. You know, I mean, that's, that's how I would feel most comfortable. But there's certainly no reason it has to be in a particular order like that. Don't be afraid to do the worship time. Don't be afraid to do the witness and the wind time. When I first volunteered with the Katrina disaster, they said, okay, now every place you go, offer to pray with the people that are there. And I'd never done that before. I'd never gone up to a stranger and said, hey, now that we've met 15 minutes ago, can I pray for you and your family? You know, I'd like, it just was not a thing that I was comfortable doing. and But eventually, I did do that and uh, got over the fear of initiating that. And it was great. You know, it was wonderful. It's going to feel a little awkward probably, but kind of battle through some of that fear and awkwardness and get into some of the deeper things like the worship and the praying for each other and that sort of a deal. Uh, there's tremendous value in that some groups might be just for women some might be for moms yeah with little kids like vicky's group is going to be a parenting group for children not teenagers but children so that's a specific demographic you might you might have a demographic is well whoever's available on tuesdays at seven doesn't matter <laughs> uh, that could be your demographic it, it doesn't yeah, singles or couples or people who live in Duluth, you know, that, that drive in, but then they can have a small group that's not so far from home or whatever the case may be. Uh, it's meant to kind of funnel the right people to the group, but not exclude people from the group. So if you're going over the book of James and it doesn't matter who comes, it could be a teenager or a senior citizen or the whole family or whatever, then you're not necessarily going to even have anything in the demographic. It's It's just whoever wants to come. But there are other ones that are specific. So we want to keep raising the bar on relationship building, but we don't need to raise the bar on the snack or the expensiveness of the worship experience or the, well, I've got a live band that I hired for our (laughs) work. If you want to buy a curriculum, um, this is, of course, something that the church is willing to invest in. What we want to do is have the individuals either purchase their own workbooks or their own books if they are unable to do that we can buy groups of books and they can borrow them and put them back in the library we've done that several times and then we've got the the batch of books and somebody else can do that series another time and okay well we've got eight books right here and that sort of thing but if you're giving stuff away to people make them make them at least you know say well what can you do you know can you put in a dollar Make them do something. We're going to want to evaluate how things are going and and coach and continue to help people develop in their leadership skills and that sort of a thing. And so that kind of feedback is important. Kathy and I are going to figure out how to be a support system for leaders and hosts. Um, We've not done this in an organized way before, and so we're kind of figuring it out. But we don't want people to be leading a group and you're just out there and you don't know what to do and you're scared and you've got some concerns and you don't know who to ask what do I do about this I ended up with the negative person and now I don't know how to handle it we want to be a support system for the leaders and so it's not so scary do a start and a finish date you know I mean some of the book studies are pretty obvious eight weeks or six weeks or ten weeks or whatever but even if you're doing just well, we're gonna read through the book of Matthew and it's gonna be great and, and you know, and that you could do that for a year. Do have an end date. We wanna kinda take a break over the Christmas, New Year's time, and that gives people an opportunity to go to a different group or you know, kind of mix and match, or a a host then doesn't have to do it in the spring, or you know, that sort of thing. It gives you that opportunity or You know, it was great leading in the fall, but I've got this stuff going on in my schedule now in the spring. I don't think I can lead a group in the spring. It gives natural opportunities for people to come in and go out and not disrupt uh, a particular group. So I would say an optimal start date to a small group would be towards the end of September. Even you get into the end of October or mid-October, you're a few weeks from hunting season and, you know, all kinds of things. So we don't want people arguing about theology and that sort of thing. So it's not that, you know, maybe that could be stated as the primary function is relationship building. The study is secondary. So what we don't want is somebody is sharing about some personal need and the leader goes. Now, let's get back to question number five in the list. What did James say about, you know, that sort of a deal? It It is about relationships. So, so we give on the learning to gain on the relationship. Of course, you can have both, but relationship has the primary, that's the primary thing. There's this specific Christian terminology for everything, you know, like youth is high school and children is elementary school, you know, there's these things. Bible study means it's a class. So you don't necessarily even interact with the people. You teach them something. That's a Bible study. We're going to go over 1st and 2nd Corinthians. It's the Corinthian Bible study. And so you sit in the room, you learn your stuff, but we don't do good thing, bad thing. We're doing Corinthians, you know. So it is weird terminology and whatever, you know, you, you define your terms and that's what however it goes you know it all everything means something different wherever you're sitting but the the thing is we don't want to lose the relationship for the sake of the material we're covering cover material that's great (laughs) but we're wanting to build relationships Uh, that's the deal so don't shut down the relationships so you can cover the material shut down the material first so that you can build the relationships and use the material to build relationships as somebody gets a revelation on lies women believe, and they're like, oh, I believe that lie. Now you're entering into relationship through the material. But it's not, yeah, be quiet, we've got another lie to take care of. It's using the material to build the relationships and, and experience the spiritual growth together that people are having. So that's kind of a terminology. Thing. One of the awesome deals about this this little book is that it really, to me, stated more succinctly and effectively some things that I already believed about it's like praying for the people that come to your group compared to developing some elaborate teaching. you know uh I think soap groups are great; it encourages people to do their daily devotions, you talk about the things God's been showing you, and you build relationships, so your devotion time is reiterated. Your small group relationships are built. I just think it's a it's a multi-win situation when you talk about your daily devotions or something like that. That's that's just powerful. Because all of us periodically need some extra motivation in sticking to our devotional routine. And if that's part of your small group, it just fits together super nice. There's a variety of other different resources that I've got too. All right. Shall we hit the gavel on this one?